quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. At this time, children ages 19 months old through kindergarten are dismissed to the little landing. Merry Christmas, Faith Family at the Landing. I hope the worship team from the Landing remembers us when they're on their world tour. What a joy to be led in worship by them. Let's ask the Lord for his help as we worship over his word. Father, thank you for Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Thank you for the scriptures that have been ministered to us from Luke 2 and declared over us by the worship team. And read now for our study and reflection from Matthew 1. Thank you for the plain teaching of your word, fully sufficient and able to equip us for life and godliness. Thank you for the privilege we have to enjoy the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ as believers. And I pray for every person who does not yet know you and trust you personally as Lord and Savior, that they would come to faith in Christ today. Thank you, Father, for the way that you will banish unholy fear through this passage and replace it with holy and godly fear. We thank you that that godly fear will embolden us free from the fear of the flesh to boldly bear witness to Christ in every Christmas dinner gathering, in every year concluding reflection, in every job and relationship, every venture and new opportunity, every hardship and every happiness. We pray, Father, that you would pour out your blessing now upon your word. Watch over it to perform it, as Jeremiah says. Please help me to be a faithful steward of it for the good and encouragement and joy of your people, for the glory and the praise and the honor of your name. I ask all these things through Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you do with your fear? What do you do with your fear? Every one of us has them. Every one of us fears being left out. We fear uh, failing at whatever we try to do. We fear being revealed to be a phony. We fear getting sick or or the process of dying or we fear death itself. What do you do with your fear? The most common command in the whole Bible is fear not. By far, it's the most common, more common than any other command. Fear not. It's the main point of today's passage. You'll see, in fact, in a few moments exactly what to do with our fears. And oh, I praise the Lord for Christmas of 2023. May it be the very moment in your walk with the Lord that you set aside unholy fears and watch a new and godly holy fear replace unholy fears. For four weeks in the 
season of Advent, we've explored Hebrews chapter one to see how the son of God is greater than prophets and angels and everyone infinitely greater. We've worshiped Christ in Hebrews one. He must be proclaimed since the eyes of unbelief will look at the son, the son of Mary, the son of God, the son of David. And they'll say he's nothing. The natural man, the natural flesh, the person who's lost will always say, wow, those angels are tall and they're shining. And I just can imagine they have a deep voice like a like an F-35 and afterburner going over the airport. That's what the angel voice sounds like. Twenty two thousand pounds of thrust. And he's talking. No wonder the first thing he has to say out of his mouth is fear not every time he talks. But but Jesus, what is he? Says the natural man. He's born as a tiny, vulnerable baby to little teenage Mary. She's not even married. She's not even from an important clan. And she's now going to walk around in shame. She gives birth not even in a home or even in an inn, but out back behind the inn. She's in the least of all towns, hardly worth naming, known as Bethlehem. A tiny little town that dots a map in the smallest backward country, weakling nation of Israel. A a nation that's under the boot of Rome. Who could ever have any esteem for Israel? How much weaker could this tiny child's birth be? Surely anyone who has a real assessment of reality, says the unbeliever. Who has any grasp of common sense would say, look at how small and insignificant Jesus is. Why would a massive angel even bother to attend his birth? But if you have the eyes of faith, if you look at the Bible as a believer, if God's at work in your life and you know it. You know now in this very moment that the living God opens your eyes to look at the Bible passage in front of you and say. I don't find the angel so impressive. I want to bow and tremble before Jesus Christ. I want to worship him. I want to love him and find my joy in him. I want to adore and exalt and dedicate my very existence to him. I want to come and offer him everything I have and every talent and every ability, every moment, every thought, every dream. I worship him as my God. The main point that the angel speaks written by the Holy Spirit for Matthew to record is in the hearing of Joseph. When in verse 20, the angel says, Do not be afraid. Verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not fear or do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's the main point of the passage. That's the main point of the word of the Lord for us today. Fear not is common throughout the Christmas story, isn't it? When Zechariah was approached inside the temple by Gabriel, the first thing Gabriel said to Zechariah was, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And when Gabriel first appears to Mary to announce that she will bear the son of God, he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. When John the Baptist was miraculously born to Mary's relative Elizabeth and to her husband, Zechariah, the elderly couple, 
Zechariah's silent, unbelieving voice was opened miraculously and restored. And it says in Luke one, fear came upon all the neighbors at Jesus birth. The angels proclaimed to the shepherds, fear not in Luke two ten. fear marks the human response to Christmas. Here in today's passage, you see the very same thing in the angel's words to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Mary was told by Gabriel, the angel, that she would be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and she would conceive a child. Mary received this news in faith and with joy and worship. She visited Elizabeth, her relative, and together they rejoiced at how Mary would bear the Lord of them all and, and how and when she would tell Joseph she wasn't sure. She was betrothed to him. That is, they traded truths in a public and judicial way. They said, I promise to keep myself for you and a year from now we'll marry. And I promise to keep myself for you and a year from now we'll marry. And the families would make preparation. Joseph, the, the husband-to-be, would go away and work and provide a home and a place for his future bride to come. But he still referred to her as his wife. You can see that even in our passage today. This betrothal was a, a judicial and a public Covenant that said, I will not be unfaithful to you, but preserve myself. And now Mary has to come and tell Joseph, I'm great with child. Picture a young 20 year old Joseph deeply in love with Mary, having made a public promise to marry her. And during that year, he's working hard to build and create and provide and sustain. She'll find this beautiful, I'm sure. She'll be safe here. She'll be comfortable here. We can start a family here. We can eat right there. This is where the animals can be. It's going to be wonderful. Working to make preparations for his wife to be. And then he discovers she is with child. Was he hurt? Was he confused? Was he angry? Was he betrayed? How did Joseph react to the news that his precious Mary, whom he loved so much, was now great with child? What would he do? What would happen? Was she unfaithful to the betrothal promise? That wasn't her character. How could that have been? It seems impossible. But there she was, a child in her womb. Joseph had three options. He could either shout, he could shun, or he could shame. He could shout. He could say, call a, a meeting of the whole community. My engaged betrothed one has been unfaithful to me. It was not my doing. I am exonerated in this. Everybody should hear. It's her. Put her on trial. Do with her what you will. The law gave him that permission. He could have shouted. Or he could shun. Let's keep the secret. Let's put her away quietly. Let's have the baby in secret. And then I won't have anything to do with you anymore. My heart is broken. I've been betrayed. I only hope I can start over. Or I can shame. I can say, I am going to marry her. Though I know I was not responsible for the child in her. And I'm going to own her sure shame in the community 
Everybody will whisper as we walk by. Everybody will whisper when our names come up. They'll even whisper when our family's names come up. There'll be gossip and there'll be slander and there'll be embarrassment and there'll be shame. But I will own the shame with her. He has a moment to sleep. After he ponders this and before he sleeps, he decides, I am going to pick the second option. I'm going to shun. Joseph, it says, resolved to put her away quietly. That's the word for divorce. Put her away quietly to have the child in secret. It was just in the sense that it wasn't a, a public declaration and a, and a public criticism. But it was, in fact, to him, the seemingly wisest option. And then he has this sleep. And during the sleep, a dream. And in fact, it's wonderful to notice that in chapter 2 of Luke, he has two more dreams, three total. A significant interaction between God's angel of the Lord, probably Gabriel, and Joseph while he sleeps. In this first dream, the angel speaks to Joseph. And he shares with him this stunning sentence. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her... Is from the Holy Spirit. Fear not, Joseph. Fear not, Joseph. Fear not. What's Joseph not supposed to fear? What fears come to your mind? What fears do you think he has in mind? The first one I thought of is don't fear the supernatural. Here I am an angel. Don't fear me. I'm coming not to bring destruction or harm. I'm coming to bring good news. That's the first fear. Don't fear the supernatural. The second is, don't fear the public shame. Of course, everybody's going to look down on you and Mary. And of course, they're going to speak ill of you. But don't fear what man, unbelieving and mistaken, say against you. You've done nothing wrong. Don't own their shame. The third fear I thought of is the fear of the cost of obedience. It's going to mean you're going to travel and it's going to be difficult and, and it's going to be in, uh, include suffering and hardship and pain. Don't fear that. It's good. It's hard, but it's good. And the final fear, don't fear judgment before God. For you to take Mary as your wife, for you to live the life that results, for you not only to take Mary as your wife, but to take her child as your own. You see the complex decision Joseph's making? I not only gain a wife, I adopt a son. Don't fear that God will judge you, Joseph. When you stand before the Lord, he will have found you through the blood of your own adopted son, Joseph, clean and forgiven, loved and accepted. Joseph, this child whom you will adopt, he will be added into David's line by your adoption. He will be the one who sits on David's throne forever. And Joseph, if you can think carefully with me, your son whom you adopt, Jesus, will die for your sins, Mary's sins, and the sins of the whole world who believes in him. That's why the angel says to Joseph, fear not. How do you respond with your fears when the Bible tells you fear not? You can't just come up to somebody when they're lying in a hospital bed and say, 
Don't fear the pain or the process of difficulty or suffering or someone who, you know, is dying and say, don't fear dying. You can't just come to someone and say, don't fear judgment before God or don't fear the shame and embarrassment before the eyes of others. It has to be a transformation that happens in the heart. It has to be a miracle. What has to occur is that this unholy fear of danger and this unholy fear of death has to be removed and replaced with a godly fear of the glory of God. This is the man to whom I will look, Isaiah says in Isaiah 63, the one who trembles at my word. That's a that's a holy fear. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus 20. I want you to see these two kinds of fear in one verse. Maybe you'll want to memorize this verse as I have because it's been so helpful in my walk with the Lord repeatedly beyond my counting. Exodus 20, verse 20. Easy address to remember. And when you see what I want to show you here, you may never forget this verse. Two kinds of fear, the right kind and the wrong kind in one verse and exactly how they transform and replace each other. It's the time when Israel's gathered around Mount Sinai, thunder and lightning. Moses is receiving the tablets of the Ten Commandments and the people are terrified. They want to run away from God. Moses said to the people in verse 20, do not fear. You see the kind of fear they shouldn't have. Don't run away from God. Don't have the fear that makes you run away from God. That's unholy and grieving to him. It's rooted in unbelief. Don't have the kind of fear that makes you run away from your church family. Or run away from reading the Bible or run away from confessing your sins or run away from submitting to your elders or run away from sharing your faith or run away from happy, joyful hand raised singing or run away from prayer and significant moments in fasting and reflection before the Lord. Don't let fear make you run away from God as the people of Israel were in Exodus 20. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Why? You see the ground. You can tell by the word for. That means we've got a reason coming for God has come to test you. That's what the law and the commandments and the smoke and the lightning and the thunder is all about. God has come to test you. He has two purposes. You can tell that by the word that that or in order that the fear of him may be before you. Now, you see a fear to be replaced with a fear. Unholy fear is to be replaced with godly fear. What does godly fear act like? Look at the rest of the verse to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. This is the kind of godly and holy fear that replaces an unholy fear. So when the angel comes to Joseph back in Matthew one, he says, remove ungodly fear. And replace it with a godly Believing fear that makes me run toward God and toward his people and toward the Bible and toward prayer and toward sharing my faith and worshiping him and obeying his every word. What do you do with your fears? I bring him to Mount Sinai, Exodus 2020. I don't want to fear the supernatural. I believe that angels are at work and I believe that the spirit of God is present and he's in the world among unbelievers to convict them of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. And he's in the church gifting and giving fruits. And that's way beyond anybody's control. If you like a high handed 
American version of linear A, then B, then C, in all chronological order, then you're deathly afraid of the supernatural. Don't be. Don't be afraid of the fear of man. What can man do to us? That they badmouth us, that they criticize us, that they call us mentally unstable. I think it's actually entertaining. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you who to fear. Fear him who after he has killed his authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Don't fear suffering for Christ. Like Joseph, to take on Mary and to adopt Mary's child brought shame and hardship and difficulty. You can read about that in the rest of Matthew's gospel and elsewhere in the scriptures. And you can just imagine it. Don't fear the cost of following Christ. When we are persecuted, we can rejoice and regard it as a badge of honor if we're persecuted for Christ. For so the prophets were persecuted before us, Matthew 5. And don't fear dying. For believers, death has been defanged. It's no longer a punishment, but a refinement. It's not the end of all that is good, but only the end of the very beginning. Chapter 1 of eternal life is about to begin. Christian, for you to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. To die is gain. Preach that to yourself. That's how you banish fear that's, that's so petty and small and gripped on danger and dying. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why is it gain? Because I get more Christ. Where does such fearless living and dying come from? What creates this fearless, joy-filled lovers of Christ, no matter the cost? This kind of person is forged how? By owning three plain truths that come right out of this passage. I want to share them with you briefly and we'll be done. First, the son was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Did you see that truth? It's plain and clear to be seen. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's what the angel repeated to Joseph in verse 20. Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is called the virginal conception. And it's absolutely crucial. I hope you and I, I hope you would join me in dying for this doctrine. What it means is Christ is born not into Adam's sinful line. The line of Adam's sin, which affects you and me and all other human beings, is broken. When the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary and Christ is conceived in her womb, he is therefore untainted by sin and sinless. He is God, the son and God as man from his very first cell. And cell duplication. There is great wonder and glory here. Be stunned at the miraculous power of God that this claim makes. Matthew is telling us and, and, the, and the angel by the spirit's inspiration is telling Joseph. 
that Jesus is conceived by the Spirit of God in Mary's womb. One of the clearest theologians ever to write on this is J. Gresham Machen. He says this, our knowledge of the virgin birth, therefore, is important because it fixes for us the time of the incarnation and what comfort that gives to our souls. Marcion, the second century dualist heretic, was very severe upon those who thought that the son of God was born as a man. He poured out the vials of his scorn upon those who brought Christ into connection with the birth pangs and the nine months time. But we unlike Marcion and his modern disciples, glory just in the story of those very things. The eternal son of God who through, through whom the universe was made did not despise the virgin's womb. What a wonder is there. It is no strange thing that it, was all, it has always given offense to the natural man. But in the wonder we find God's redeeming love. And in that babe who lay in Mary's womb we find our Savior who thus became man to die for our sins and bring us into peace with God. If God can cause Christ to be born in Mary's womb, then he surely can cause faith in Jesus Christ to be born in your heart. If God can cause his Holy Spirit to overshadow Mary and the son of God be conceived in her womb, then surely the Holy Spirit can gift and supply fruits to you so that in mercy and in service you can go like Peter and the Holy Spirit will use your shadow to heal and bring life. Acts 5.15. Jesus is God, sinless and perfect, free from the curse, free from Adam's sin, free from the pollution of the world and the effect of the evil one, free from any wisp of condemnation before God. In fact, God is happy to say repeatedly, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. All other religious figures are fallen men and women or so-called gods, which are no gods. Demons parading as gods. He only is this God man worthy of all of our worship, all of our praise. And how does that banish fear? It banishes fear because, you know, you are worshiping the one true God when you come and worship the newborn Christ. You've not been duped. You've not been lied to. You've not been confused. You're not confusing yourself and no one is confusing you. When you bow before Jesus and worship him, it's the one true, free, clear Joy-supplying, health-supplying, direction-supplying, ever an eternal life-supplying act. The second truth that creates fearless people. Unholy fear transformed into godly fear. Rises right out of verse 21. The son came to save his people from their sins. She will bear a son, says the angel's voice, and you shall call his name Jesus. Yeshua, God saves for ground. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The great mission of the son of God is to come into the world to save you and me from our sins. Our sins hinder and and isolate us from God. Our sins are the barrier between God and you. If you ever feel distant from God, it's not God's fault. It's the sin in you that divides you from him. If you ever feel like there's so many other things distracting and confusing and complicating your life, it's because sin in the world and sin in you and the temptation of the devil has put a barrier between you and God. Christ has a mission. He comes into the world and he says, with my tiny little fragile body intended to be small, insignificant in the eyes of the unbelieving 
and yet glorious in the eyes of God and in the eyes of all who see rightly. I offer this body as a sacrifice for your sin. His great mission. Mas in Latin, Christ's great mission. Christ's mass is the gospel. To come into the world and to own upon himself the sins of all who trust in him and wipe them away past, present and future as far as the east is from the west. That's why the Bible tells us Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1, that he condemns sin in the flesh. Romans 8, 3, that Christ carries all our sin past, present and future to the cross. First Peter 2, 24, he becomes sin in our place. Second Corinthians 5, 21, he cancels sin by dying on the cross for it so as to forgive the sinner. Colossians 2, 14, he crucifies our sin and kills it. He casts all our sin into the depths of the sea. Micah 7, 19, he chooses to remember our sins against us no more. Hebrews 8, 12, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we ask him. First, John 1, 9. Jesus, Jesus saves his people from their sins. Joseph, Mary. The disciples, the church, believers in Old and New Testaments who cry out to the Lord, believers around the world from every tribe, tongue, people and nation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, says Romans 10. Romans 10 also says in verse nine, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you have trusted in Christ, if out of your mouth you have confessed Christ, if you have received him, and I invite you to do that right now, I invite you while I'm talking to ignore me <laughs> and to listen to the voice of Christ and to say in a moment, Lord, I do call on you. I do ask you to take away my sins. I do follow you as you will help me. You see how this banishes unholy fear. If you're afraid of being found as a failure or if you're afraid of dying or if you're afraid of judgment before God or if you're afraid of the the uh, embarrassment before men, all of that evaporates when you realize it's all rooted in sin in me and sin in the world. And all that's been wiped away through Christ that wipes away unholy fear and it puts in its place a godly fear that causes me to love and cherish and tremble before him with joy. Confess your sins to him. Trust in him, maybe for the first time and be saved. Listen to the voice of the angel to Joseph. Do not be afraid and fear not. The third truth out of this passage that helps us transform unholy fear to holy fear is the son of God is with us. God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil. So the evil had to be washed away through the death and resurrection of Christ. But that was in order that the greater blessing, even greater than the wonder of forgiveness of sins, could be yours. And that is you could be experienced. The adoption as sons, both men and women are referred to as sons because of the sweet relationship the father has with the son. And then he calls us all men and women sons, not because there's gender confusion, but because every single person, man, woman and child who comes to Christ has the same son standing in adoption. Don't ever begrudge the fact that the Bible calls men and women and children sons. It's the sweetest title you could ever be given. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman under the law. 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, Galatians 4. That's what it means for God to be with us. You can see that so plainly in this passage that the angel says in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us means adoption. We get to call him Abba. We get to call him a term of affection. All God's children across the globe and throughout time come to him by his adopting love. While his only begotten son, eternally begotten, is one with the father for eternity, even the son, Jesus Christ, knew adoption because he was adopted by Joseph. He came to be with us and to experience all of life with us. He came into the world to say, there is only one way to be Emmanuel with God. And that is through me. This is a stunning claim, isn't it? No other religion is with God. No person who's rejected Christ is with God. Israel isn't with God if they've rejected Christ. Islam isn't with God if they've rejected Christ. No other attempts to get to God, get to God and are with him if they've rejected Christ. Because the Bible says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus said. Pray that there would be sweeping repentance across all the so-called religions who believe they are with God and yet have rejected the son. There is only one way to know Emmanuel, God with us, and that's through the son. Another theologian that has helped me many times wrote a book called Knowing God many years ago, generation ago now. His name is J.I. Packer. He said this. The really staggering Christmas claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man, the second person of the Godhead became the second man determining human destiny, the second representative head of the race, and that he took humanity without loss of deity so that Jesus of Nazareth was a truly and fully divine as he was human. There are two mysteries for the price of one here, the plurality of persons within the unity of God and the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. It's here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The word became flesh. John one. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises. Needing to be fed, changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there's no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the son of God was A reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. The overwhelming message of Christmas for believers is fear not. Fear not. Fear not. My message to this precious congregation whom I love so deeply, including my precious wife and daughter, And any who would listen by live stream, if this is the last message I ever happen to preach under God's good design in my life, 
I would love for you to hear me utter repeatedly the words, fear not. Fear nothing that's coming in 2024. Fear nothing that any political movement can do. Fear nothing that the devil has planned or is doing. Fear nothing that anyone who opposes Christ in religious or military or political or other forms. Fear not. Fear not to share the gospel with those who are unsaved that you're going to have dinner with today. Fear not to speak the name of Jesus in the public setting. Fear not to love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Not one thing you do in extravagant glory for him is a waste. And don't fear dying. Don't fear dying. It's been defanged. Now it's your servant. It's your golden chariot into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's about 6 p.m. in Lagos, Nigeria right now. Christmas Eve services, public and open, in the church buildings, with the sign giving the time and the name of the speaker, have all begun. Lagos, Nigeria is one of the deadliest places to be a Christian on the planet. For the last 10 years, every Christmas Eve, the Islamic terrorists have served notice to the Christians. If you gather and worship on Christmas, we're going to burn your churches down and kill you. Starting with your leaders. For the last 10 years, since 2013, they've kept that promise. Would you go to church? Fear not. I happened to read an article this morning that said the churches are going to be full. It's about 613 right now. There, start praying for them. Christmas banishes unholy fear and creates a new and godly holy fear. Verse 24 of our passage helps us end this way. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Fear is always a motivator. That's why I said earlier, if you have an unholy fear, it makes you bolt away from church. It makes you run away from the Bible. It makes you run away from prayer. It makes you run away from worship. But if you have a godly fear in you, you can't stay away from God's people. You're first in line. You love worshiping. You love prayer. You love seeking God in the word and sharing meals and gifts and love and fellowship with each other. And you love enlarging the number. A shared joy is always a double joy, you say. And so you're constantly looking for people to bless. Look what fear did. The right kind of fear in Joseph. He woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Can you imagine the conversation between Joseph after there's this cold ice between him and Mary? And she's wondering, what in the world is he going to do with me? And he goes to her and a look on his face and he grabs her and he holds her tight. And he said, let's get married. Can you imagine how she felt? Are you serious? Do you mean it? Do you mean it? Will you take me? Do you know what that means? I do and I don't. And I'm taking you. Can't wait to meet this little boy. I can't wait to be your husband. I can't wait to love you. 
And I despise the shame. He not only received her to himself, and I hope today every one of you in the hearing of my voice has received Christ the same way. That you, like Joseph, have said, I'm not going to let fear guide me or hinder me or distract me or make me cower or tremble. I am going to, in fact, love Christ as Joseph loved Mary. Boldly, freely, passionately, without hindrance. But there's more. Look at verse 25. But knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And then in the Jewish tradition, when the mother gives birth to the son, everybody gathering around to help the family to watch and those to help in the birthing process will say, "Okay, the son and the child is born. Daddy, it's your turn. Name the child. What's the name of this child? Look what he does. He owns the name. He owns his wife. He owns his son. The child's name is Jesus. He's unafraid. What the angel said, what Mary said, what the scriptures say, and everything going on inside my heart by the Holy Spirit tells me I know exactly who this is. This is Jesus, the son of God. He will save his people from their sins. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you cause us, like Joseph, to be emboldened with the fear of God and not the fear of the flesh. I pray that we would warmly welcome Mary, as it were, welcoming Christ, and we would name his name freely. Jesus, 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 the name above all names. We pray that you would cause us as a church in 2024 to be as bold as we've ever been and bolder still to proclaim Jesus to a lost and dying world and a lost and dying community, and maybe lost and dying loved ones. Would you enable us, like the angel said to Joseph, to not be afraid, but to live out of a holy fear in the Lord, loving you, obeying you, serving you, delighting in you, giving our lives for you. Would you pour out your blessing right now on places around the globe that are under attack just because they love the name of Jesus? I'm asking for an end to the 10 year long onslaught of Christmas massacres in Nigeria and everywhere else where that's needed. And Lord, I pray that you put such a fire inside everyone in this room that we go into our Christmas Eve celebrations and we come back to beautiful, tender, quiet candlelight services tonight and we enjoy meals and gifts tomorrow. With such a passion, such an otherworldly supernatural boldness that the world cannot even imagine stopping us. Cover the earth with the glory of Jesus like the waters cover the sea. We pray this in his unimpeachable, sinless and holy name. And everyone said together, amen. Let's respond.